You're listening to Paying It Forward, a Square podcast. When it comes to running a small business, tackling financial decisions can be daunting and often overwhelming. Each week, we'll tackle one issue that could affect your business's cash flow and hear from a fellow business owner experiencing it firsthand. On today's episode, we look at profit and loss. What are the key financial statements small businesses should keep track of to stay on top of their financial health? By keeping an eye on cash inflows and outflows, you can better manage your cash flow as you grow. So a profit and loss statement is defined as a type of financial report that tells you how profitable your business was over a given period. It shows your revenue minus your losses and expenses. The result of this is either your final profit or your final loss. The profit and loss statement is one of the three most important financial statements for business owners alongside the balance sheet and the cash flow statement. That's Ellen Cornish, Lead Client Research Associate at Bench Accounting, a professional bookkeeping service for small businesses. One of the most common reasons small businesses start producing profit and loss statements is to show banks and investors how profitable their business is. When profit and loss statements are meant to be shared outside of business, they're normally called income statements. A profit and loss statement is for internal use only. Other than that, those two statements are essentially the same. A balance sheet gives a snapshot of your financials at a particular moment, incorporating every journal entry since your company launched. It shows what your business owns in assets. It shows what your business owes in liabilities, as well as what money is left over for owners, which is the owner's equity. Because it summarizes a business's finances, the balance sheet is also sometimes called the statement of financial position. Companies usually prepare one at the very end of a reporting period, such as a month, quarter, or year. Income statements or profit and loss statements and balance sheets, they do play a part in cash flow and forecasting it. Cash flow forecasting is really similar to budgeting, but instead of estimating revenues and expenses, it estimates cash coming in and cash going out of a business. Cash flow forecasting or cash flow statements itself can't be generated without information that comes from both the profit and loss and the balance sheet. Here's some advice she shares if you're trying to better manage your cash flow. If you're ever struggling or unsure, I would get on top of that first and foremost. If it's incomplete, there's a big chance there is a gap that you are missing in your understanding of how your business operates and functions. Without that, you really can't go in any direction or next steps without knowing for sure that it's the right course of action or the most efficient use of you and your business's time. Maintain, but also regularly review your profit and loss balance sheet and cash flow statements, which means staying on top of all of your record keeping and bookkeeping. And I say that because I definitely get the sense that a lot of business owners are struggling and they know that cash flow is a problem, but they don't really know where it is a problem. And I find that reviewing these forms regularly gives you that insight to actually understand a lot better. You're trying new ways to sell, making tough financial decisions, doing what it takes to make your business succeed. You aren't alone. Join us on Square's Talking Squarely podcast, where independent business owners just like you get real about the ups and downs of running a business. Listen and subscribe to Talking Squarely. Our guest today is Leila Khan Ahmad, co-owner of the Black and Caspian Mediterranean Restaurant in Chicago, Illinois. This year in business has taught her how to go from thinking about finances in the short term to a more long-term outlook. 
She says they have gone from planning for the business on a day-to-day or week-to-week basis to thinking like bigger businesses. She hopes this shift in perspective will help their restaurant scale just like them. I opened Black and Caspian with my partner, Ahmed. He is our chef right now. Um, We opened in January 2020, and that was right before the pandemic hit, and we were shut down for three months right after that. So we've been in business for a little over a year now. It was a funny story when we first started thinking about opening a wine bistro. I still had a job at CIBC. (laughs) I worked as a business development coordinator in private wealth management. And I was so terrified of taking the leap of, you know, taking this risk. We opened the restaurant and for two weeks, I was still going to work and coming to the restaurant after work. Even though quitting her job felt like a big leap at the time, she says the risk was worth the reward. When you start the business, you get over enthusiastic and you're overly ambitious about all the things that you want to do. So instead of setting a budget aside and instead of really paying attention to your numbers and performance and history, you're only focusing on growth and you are over investing in certain decisions. And when something like the pandemic or something extraordinary happens, you are left in a situation where you're unable to fulfill all the risks that you take, but at the same time, you're unable to take a step back. Owning a restaurant when planning long-term, it's best to make small, to take small steps, small risks, not to be overly ambitious. In your beginnings, instead of taking huge steps that might leave you with nothing at the end of the day. The first, the very first time that we got shut down, I think it was March 16th, we really sat down and questioned the way we ran our business because there were two weeks ahead of us that were, we were going to be out of business. We were forced to shut the business down and we were so terrified. And it's just two weeks. If you really think about it, it's not really that big of a time frame for a small business, but we were terrified because we had nothing planned for a situation like that. And that's when we started thinking, okay, what do we do to prepare for unforeseen situations like that. So that's when we started diving into the square dashboard, the history, the performance, the numbers, the percentages, and tracking our performance, making difficult decisions such as should we have weekend brunch or shouldn't we, you know, does it make financial sense to have it or not? When the city shut down, Layla and her partner started taking a closer look at their finances. What could they sacrifice to ensure their business would be resilient through the pandemic? So our restaurant is located in Lakeview East, and we are on Broadway and Surf. In that neighborhood, like all the restaurants that are in that neighborhood, they do brunch. And brunch for us was more of an emotional decision that we took. But at the same time, we were very enthusiastic about it, thinking that we were going to be able to perform well. We really did brunch for about a year without ever sitting down and looking at our numbers and seeing how much money we made from dinner and how much money we made from brunch. We were so 
overwhelmed was the day-to-day that we failed to even analyze our performance. The first signal was when staff was getting burned out because, you know, when Friday night, it gets busy and then everybody works from Friday night to Saturday morning. That's a 15-hour shift on Saturday and then 15-hour shift on Sunday. So that was the, the first like red flag where we were like, okay, so our performance is going down because staff is getting burnt out. And then that's when we opened Square and we started looking at the, at our numbers and there was such um, a shocking um, result on Square for us. When we saw the numbers, we were like, okay, we're not doing brunch anymore because first of all, financially, it doesn't make sense and it's hurting our performance, our staff in the long term. We'd rather niche down, be like a dinner wine house, a wine bistro restaurant rather than you know, spread out our attention, resources and energy onto too many things that we cannot afford to put on our plate anymore. I think that for the past few months, we have really started paying attention to our numbers, even on a daily basis. And then we look at our numbers on a biweekly basis, and then we do monthly analysis. Um, The decision of walking away from brunch was really, um, my partner was very, very, very worried about it because he thought that this was kind of a fail for us. But at the same time, finance gets personal when you have a small business. So you that line of like, whether that makes sense financially, or whether that makes sense personally, those lines sometimes get blurred. And you have to set the right boundaries. And you have to know when to say no to yourself, so that your business does well. Although it was a difficult decision to make, cutting brunch paid off, and by taking a closer look at their margins, they were able to focus on what made the most sense for their business going forward. We um, are now working on opening a cheese and wine um, bar, a second location, and I think that now that we know how the business works with wine and cocktails and the liquor license being in it, there's just very little uncertainty. And with little uncertainty, there's the risks are lowered and we know approximately what to expect. For example, we have the lamb chops, we have the marble steak, um, we have the lamb shank. And those, those dishes are very expensive to make. And the profit margin from those dishes is like, it's, it's a funny figure. But that's when that's where we were able to come in with wine and with cocktails and with things that were going to compensate uh, for the difficult decision of keeping those on the menu. There's that moment, you know, every single day we look at the numbers and we're like, okay, you know, this dish is just killing us, but we have to keep it on the menu. Especially during the pandemic, those first three months were really, really scary. We did really well in January and February, although we were in new business. It was just things were going really, really well, especially until mid-March. But then everything got cut off. So we had to like slow down, take a step back. We have to keep our costs very, very low. Even if we were going to perform well, we should not lose track of our spendings. That's the thought process that we're going to apply to Black & Barrel is the name of the second location, by the way. Cutting back on certain services and items, as well as choosing where to reinvest next, aren't the only decisions that led Layla and Ahmet to the second location they're planning today. They were able to create new revenue streams during the shutdown that helped them make the most of their produce. First, they said that we were going to be closed for two weeks, then it became one month, then it became three months. That's when we really started 
thinking about uh, diversifying our revenue streams, but in a way that it is not just another emotional decision that we're making, but something that impacts the restaurant positively in a sense that, for example, it decreases food waste at the same time, it um, increases customer loyalty and all that. And so we came up with this idea that restaurants can deliver meal kits like ingredients and recipes, and it could be a one-off order without anyone having to commit to like a weekly or a monthly meal plan. They don't have to schedule it. They can just go online, order the meal kit and have it delivered to them. So we built our uh, basic MVP for that idea. And we actually uh, made it to round four at Techstars Chicago Accelerator this year. And that is something that we thought would benefit a lot of the restaurants. So that's something that we're working on right now. And we are onboarding more and more restaurants, adding more uh, meal kits onto the platform. And we're hoping to launch that as soon as next fall. We knew right off the bat that it's a huge challenge to make money off of food. Food is expensive. It's perishable. It's very difficult to track everything in a way that you end up with the right numbers at the end of the day. For small business owners just starting out, Layla gives this advice. I would say even if you have the money, you should still consider putting in at only 25% of the money into like the opening process. For example, was Black and Caspian, when I first walked into this restaurant, I walked in, I really liked the location. I liked everything about it, like the size of the kitchen and everything. I knew he had a liquor license. I walked in and I said, hey, are you selling? And he said, yes, you know, I have been here for 10 years. I'm burnt out. I want to get rid of it. I'm selling for $75,000. And obviously, it was a lot of money. I went back to him six times and he brought it down to $25,000. And sometimes you do get business owners that are willing to sell. You just need to negotiate a little bit. So I let him, for example, take all of his furniture that he could sell. I let him take his ice machine with him. I just negotiated it in a way that he agreed to sell it to me for $25,000. And this included the kitchen equipment, the licenses and everything. And I was also able to negotiate paying him in installments. So I asked him to stay in until I brought in the entire full amount. So it's just important to be open to that negotiation. Of course, you know, Ahmed and I could have just gone out into the industry, worked for, you know, five years, saved up more money. But then by that time, the industry would have changed, the prices, the rent, everything would have changed, right? So we chose to negotiate instead and take the leap. The best way to search is to go into a neighborhood, see a restaurant that you like, literally walk in and ask the owners if they're selling, you know, how much they're paying, what, you know, their business model looks like. And a lot of the business owners are open to that. In the end, Layla says that despite going to school for hospitality, she learned the most through firsthand experience, failing and succeeding by trying everything herself. You know, I came from a very different culture into a totally different uh, culture, especially when it comes to food. I think that the U.S. works very, very differently. Every state, every city, every food type, you know, works very, very differently. But I think that it's important to be part of this industry before you jump onto something like that. I worked at an Italian restaurant and I worked in service. I worked in the kitchen and I saw the reality of running a business here in the U.S. It's important to be prepared to be the everything person because the owner is almost always the operator. You're always going to be in operations and you have to be prepared for anything and everything, for staff not showing up for work, uh, for 
you know, your landlord going crazy was rent, very weird customer feedback that you never expected. And I think being the everything person is key here and staying humble, especially during the times when you do well. Thank you to Ellen Cornish and Leila Kanamad for their thoughts on payroll. Ellen Cornish is lead client research associate for Bench, America's largest professional bookkeeping service for small businesses. Leila Kanamad is co-owner of The Black and Caspian. Check them out on Facebook and Instagram at Black and Caspian or their website, blackcaspian.com. If you're in the Chicago area, Layla says come on by for live music any night of the week. For more information on tools like the ones we discussed on today's episode, head to squareup.com backslash town square. Download free templates for profit and loss statements, cash flow forecasting, and more. You've been listening to Paying It Forward, a Square production. This episode was produced by Deborah Feinling, Camille Kale, and Clara Shannon. Our music was composed by Jordane Wallace with sound recording by Sorrentino Media and D.R. Baker. Thanks for listening. This podcast is for educational purposes and does not constitute legal, financial, or tax advice. For specific advice applicable to your business, please contact a professional.